For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of the Pain Game Podcast is sponsored by Noom. A lot of you out there have been passing comment on my weight, my thicker, so to speak. Oh my God, Jordy, you used to be super fat and now you're not as fat. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. A lot of it's been exercise, but there's also a special program that's also been helping. And the name of it is Noom. Noom is a program which helps me understand how my mind works. And every day I do these little courses that they've got on the program, which take no more than five to 10 minutes and they help you get your mind right to achieve your goals for the rest of the day. And as it happens... I'm going to do one right now. So you just click on the course, it tells you a little bit about what you're going to be doing, and then you just answer the questions. Fun eating is when you eat foods that give you pleasure, and we all know I do a little too much of that, don't we? Storm eating is when you eat, even if you're not hungry, and you feel like you can't stop. This one's me. Yeah, yeah. They've done me. They've done me there. I'm a storm eater. Yes. Can't stop for no reason. Try to avoid labeling foods as good and bad. Rework it, reprogram yourself. They've also got other things like a coach that you can talk to, get advice off of. I didn't ask for a woman. Uh, it would have been fine to be a man, no problem. Either way, information, which is what I'm here for. So you've seen how easy it is. Why not try it yourself if you're trying to better yourself? Go to noom.com slash or the link in the description below. You can click on that, and when you do, there's a 30-second quiz to get you started. So thanks to Noom for sponsoring this episode, but now, enjoy the podcast. At one time, I was homeless. Instead of going home every night, there was no home to go to. Life at home was very difficult. I grew up being abused. I lost my belt. I lost respect. I embarrassed my family. Vision was pretty much non-existent. I was able to just about scrape by the medicals. I come out, I have supreme confidence, but I'm scared to death. And I'm afraid of everything. I didn't care about living. I just wanted to die. I got up and I felt the weight of the world was lifted off my shoulders. I knew I was going to make a comeback. Fighting. This was designed for me. This is what makes us who we are. Who the fuck is that? I'm so far ahead of this game. My dream, my vision for myself is to be the greatest martial artist to ever live. I have always been a fighter. There is nothing I do better in this life than fighting. There ain't never been a man that could better me. I was born to do this. Uh, welcome back to the Pain Game Podcast. Today I'm joined by Eddie Hearn. Must be one of the hardest working men I know, actually. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, um, you never I, don't know what else I, do. I don't know what else I'd do with myself. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. Life is, people say to me, don't you ever switch off? Don't you ever... And then sadly, someone said to me the other day, what else do you do? What else do you like to do outside of work? And I was like, oh, loads of things. And I said, well, like what? I said, um, I like to watch boxing. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like to go to fights. Uh, yeah. I like to go to a gym. Uh, now, yeah, I, so I envy you and Dana White 
are the like people who I'd love to live their lives like because you get all of the greatness of being ringside and all of the fun and getting involved but you don't get punched in the face it's absolutely fantastic <laughs> yeah you know and you do have to you do have to put up with uh you know the the fans which is good and bad sometimes as well but and the fighters know, I, think, I guess um, yeah and the fighters but it's a it's a it's a drug you know I don't do drugs so this is my drug really yeah. Um, the business and the sport and, and everything else that we do at Matchroom, whether it's darts, whether it's snooker, you know, they're all big passions of ours, but nothing yeah. lights me up like boxing. And um, I've been around it all my life and, and I love it. it it's, it's the worst uh, sport in the world sometimes, the worst business in the world. You know, this week we lost a Dillian White fight with injury and then you just fancy just going into a room and curling up and crying and just saying, why do I bother? You know, why do I bother? And then, you have to roll your sleeves up and crack on. I've reconnected with one of my old mates from uh, who I grew up with, who was a podium squad boxer for Team GB. His name's Lawrence Oswecki. He actually fought on a Newcastle yeah. show. And yeah. he's such a great talent and such a hard-working lad, but yet sometimes it just doesn't happen for, for whatever mm -hmm. reason where you get put on a uh, hold through uh, the lockdowns and it, it's a struggle. So the thing I've been learning is sometimes the best guys who have all this talent, it, you have to have luck as well. You have to have injury-free oh, cool. time. It, it's so difficult to make it to the top. And I guess, um, you know, with the Dillian situation, uh, how, how frustrating is it to put all that effort in and then have everyone calling you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like... Um Firstly, on the Lawrence Osecki stuff, he's actually boxed on a couple of our shows. A uh, yeah. good fighter. Mm. I think boxing is probably one of the most um, brutal sports outside of the ring in terms of making it, getting that opportunity, getting that, um, you know, that crack, that one chance that can change your career and change your life. That comes in all kinds of different spaces in life. You know, some people are the brightest people in the world and never get an opportunity to be financially successful or actually achieve their own version of success. That comes through luck, that comes from hustle, that comes from being streetwise, being common sense. A lot of the time it comes from hard work and having a passion for what you do. I truly believe that. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and some people, every, everyone's got their different struggles, haven't they? You know, and, and like for me, I was blessed with uh, a, a really good upbringing. You know, mm. my dad made money. He's from a council estate in, in East London. Made money. I got I got given a head start, really. Mm. You know, it didn't mean that I can take it to where I've taken it to. You know, a lot of people who, who get those kind of opportunities, quite frankly, fuck it all up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? True enough. But, but everyone's got different different chances. And, and people like Lawrence Osecki and those guys, they've got to... They're, they're really... They haven't been blessed necessarily with the opportunity, mm. but when they get the opportunity, they've got to take it with both hands and the special ones mm. will shine. Mm -hmm. But those special ones, by the way, are 0.0001%. Mm. I'm talking about Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, Canelo Alvarez. They're the ones where you will watch them and go, wow. Yeah. As soon as you say, wow, you're in. All right, you're locked in. The more I learn about boxing uh, through people like Vidal, who's a friend of mine as well, the more I realise, fucking hell, it's it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. And uh, I can't imagine how hard it is for some of them because the pressure to make enough money. And uh, I, I, I mean, I was chatting to Tony Bellew and, uh, and he said, 
you know, matchroom pay every single fighter who's ever fought on a card for theirs. And as much as that shouldn't be something unusual in boxing, it is. And then talking to Lawrence, I realized how often he'd fought for zero, you know, literally mm. just selling enough tickets to pay for the guys fighting. And just, it is, it is hard. And, and you know, I've just had a, a little memory come back to me that I haven't spoken to you about since it happened. But, um, you know, you've got situations that you have to deal with where Derek Chisora's on stage with you basically saying, I want more fucking money. <laughs> and, you know, what, because... It's weird, but Derek Chisora isn't necessarily the best, uh, you know, fighter in the world, but he's probably the most intimidating. And uh, mm. you know, like, there's every chance that this could just go tits on stage. Uh, what is it like dealing with boxers on a business level? Uh, you know, because people don't mess with money, especially boxers. I think I'm lucky enough where, you know, as I often get reminded that I was brought up with a silver spoon in my mouth, mm. I still come from a working class background where I spent all my early years hanging around with tough people, with, with bad people, with, you know, with, and, and the one thing that I've got, I've, I'm streetwise, right? I, I know I have common sense. I can adapt to different situations and personalities. You know, if you put me in front of a, a corporate bank, it's no problem for me. If you put me in front of a guy that wants to rip my head off, I've, I've been there and I've seen that as well. Now, when it's Derek Chisora, that does pose a little bit of a different element to that. How did and, you and handle that, was, you that know, after that? After that <laughs> finish, because we've seen basically Adam Smith shit himself. You sort of, <laughs> you sort of laughed a little bit, but stayed calm about it. Yeah. Um, what happens when you get off stage? How do you tackle that? Fronting things up in life is always the best way to deal with things. So, whether you've got a problem, or whether you need to face adversity, or whether someone's confronting you like that the best thing to do is to front things up, you know, uh, and we had, we had a press conference here today with Dillian White and I said to him, we need to go and do a press conference. Oh, you know, I'm pissed off. I said, no, no, we've got to front up to the media, to the public and we've got to talk to them about it. You know, there's no point putting a press release out or going mm -hmm. quiet on it. We've got nothing to hide. Let's go and talk. So we go and talk. And with Chisora, you just have to look him in the eye and tell him, you know what I mean? Now it doesn't always work like that and it doesn't always go very well. Um, but pe people like Chisora will respect you more if you front things up mm. and you give him a straight answer. Mate, I've lost count of the amount of times where I've given Chisora more money once we've agreed a deal. I've given him a watch. I've given him, <laughs> I don't know, loads, loads of different stuff um, to get him in the fight. When you negotiate with some people like Derek Chisora, um, he's got a lot better now because actually his negotiation's got a lot better and he, he rinses us at stage one rather than stage two and three. Mm. But in the early days, I would almost negotiate with Derek Chisora, just holding just a little bit back, because I know he's going to be back for more. Do you know what I mean? So I used to be very scared of Derek Chisora. Now I'm just a little bit scared of him. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, there's very few people who, who make me feel now, the way right? Chisora does. I've been in his company before, and you think, yeah. it's like being with a lion or a tiger, isn't it? You're like, you don't know what the fuck could happen. But no, that's, that's the problem. Yeah. That, you've just... You've just hit the nail on the head, right? Mm. Which is, you could be, and they're the most dangerous people, mm -hmm. right? You know the one where you're having a great laugh and you just say one thing. You might not have deemed it to be anything offensive. Yeah. And it's just, what do you mean? He's like Joe right? Pesci in fucking Goodfellas, yeah. isn't he? He's fucking, but a massive <laughs> version. Yeah. You, could, yeah. you could just be having a conversation, having a great chat, and you say, that spaghetti's great in that restaurant. And he says, what do you mean? And it's like, 
the spaghetti's great yeah. in the restaurant. Yeah. Why are you talking about the spaghetti? Like, oh mate, mate oh, no. I've I've heard a <laughs> second hand where people he's been in restaurants. It's funny you should mention that. And like they they've asked him sparkling or still, and he's like, "Well, of course I want still." You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's actually though he's actually though a really nice guy. Yeah, really I mean, nice I'm, I'm sure I'm if you catch him on a good day. Just don't make sure he doesn't see this interview. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why I said he's a nice guy. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, I think it was a, a very good PR move doing the White uh, press conference because, mm. you know, if if you put out a statement and White doesn't show his face, it just looks like he's lying, you know what I mean? Because yeah. he has so much to gain from not taking the Wallen fight, which was a risky mm. fight for minimal gain mm. versus, mm. you know, potentially beating Tyson Fury if he could pull it off. Um, so, you know, you advised them right there. Um, what is the injury the injury is his shoulder, which he, you know, he has had a shoulder injury before. He's had an operation on shoulder as well. Um, basically, the news about Tyson Fury broke about four weeks ago that mm. he was going to be mandated to fight him. I have to be honest, at the time, I thought to myself, Jesus, that makes the Wallin fight even higher stakes. We sat down with Dillian. He said, look, I haven't boxed since March. Mm -hmm. I have to fight. I beat this guy 99 times out of 100, in my opinion. I'm, you know, no problem going ahead with a fight. We move forward. About two weeks ago, I actually got a text from one of my guys who's sparring with him. I said, how's sparring going? And he said, oh, we haven't sparred for two days. Dillian's hurt his shoulder. I didn't know about this. This was two weeks ago. So then I phoned the team. I said, look, it's nothing major. He's just had a niggle in sparring. He's not going to spar for a couple of days. He returned to sparring. Did one on a Saturday. Did one on the Monday. On the Monday, I had to stop after eight rounds. Went for an MRI. Doc says, you can't fight. You know, you, you, at the moment, you have a, a problem with your shoulder. If you go on and make this bad, you're going to need an operation on your shoulder. Mm -hmm. You're going to be back to square one. You could be out for over a year. And, and yes, you're, you are right. Tough fight against Wallin. Uh, Fury, you know, uh, on the horizon as well. If you can't, if your arm's not right and you can't do the 12 rounds against the championship fire, you can't fight. Mm -hmm. And the doctor said to him, you can't fight. And he was devastated. And as I go back to... You don't get paid if you don't fight, right? And I know he's going to make good money to fight Fury in March or April or whatever that is. There is no benefit to not fighting for a year. In fact, it's going to give him less chance to beat Tyson Fury. You know, he lost a big payday to fight Otto Wilden as well. And I have to be honest as well, he's a tough motherfucker, Dillian White. He don't mess around, mate. I mean, he, he don't pull out a fight. And he knew the stick that was going to come with it. And that's why he actually didn't even want to pull out the fight. But the doctor said to him, you can't go on. So mm -hmm. um, a shoulder injury, I would say four weeks or so of rehab, no operation needed, but has to be a hundred percent for when he fights Tyson Fury. I seen White said at the press conference, I think people are giving me stick because of you. Um, <laughs> and a lot of, uh, there's been a few comments uh, I've seen in interviews where people have said, what about when you said this about Dubois? What about when you said this? Do yeah. you feel a bit, um, I don't know how to phrase this. <sighs> Sorry for Dillian that something that you've said has given people less sympathy to him. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I do feel like um, the fighters that are with us do probably get more stick Absolutely. Than the fighters that are just with some, like, or, or, or don't even have, because, yeah. you know, although I'm, I'm popular, I'm unpopular, whatever I am, but I also do about a million interviews a day. So it's very easy to pull up something. Like Coogan said to me the other day, well, you said that 
you wanted to see a scan from Daniel Dubois. I said, I, I didn't that. say that. I said, I haven't seen a scan from Daniel uh, Dubois, so I can't comment on his injury. You know, but it's like, you, you know, you, you get to a situation where we come on later with the zone, you know, and, and pay-per-view and stuff like that. So, well, you said four years ago that blah, blah, blah. Well, things change. Markets change. Decisions change. Models change. Businesses change. Sports, you know, so many things change. And I think if Dillian White didn't have a big profile and wasn't with Matram, then he probably would have got less stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, mainly because of the fact that no one would have given a fuck because they wouldn't have known who he was anyway. So that's the benefit of being with us. And he's done a great job himself. We've, we've done a great job as a team to move forward and, and give him a big profile. But unfortunately, it comes with the territory. When you're a loud mouth and a, a big mouth promoter, <laughs> people are going to call you up on things all the time. And so- that just comes with the territory. The the strange thing for me is 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 you know when I read these comments and you know YouTube comments are bollocks at the best of times, but it it's it's bizarre that we as boxing fans need you to deliver the best that you can deliver, and and the the better you do, the better our entertainment is, and yet it feels like I don't know how how what the percentage is, but there's a group of them, a large group that want you to fail for whatever reason. Oh, badly. Uh, why does that how does that make you feel because you're trying to deliver entertainment for them and make them happy and yet they want you to feel I perform best when you know at school I had a real problem with authority right I was I was probably a bit of a spoiled kid because I was travelling around the world with Eubank and Naz Bruno and Lennox Lewis and you know and then I'd go back to school on a Monday and I'd have this teacher that I had no respect for telling me what to do. And I'd think, I've just been in Madison Square Garden, mate, and now, so what am I going to listen to? And I, I look back and I cringe. I hate that because respect is the thing that I try and instill in my kids the most out of anything, right? But I perform best when people give me responsibility, support me, mm-hmm. um, and encourage me to be honest with you. So the greatest feeling I have is when fight fans do give me a pat on the shoulder. And I don't mind saying it. Like I, don't, I, I think everybody likes to be, have a pat on the shoulder and say, and when I started in this game and this business, I didn't stop getting pats on the shoulder because I was trying to overturn the system. I was the underdog. Mm-hmm. And this is repetitive of the British culture. Where build you up when and not you don't. Oh, mate, when your back's against the wall, it doesn't happen whether it's business or particularly sport. When your back's against the wall, you're starting. You, you, you know, you're you're the underdog. You're moving through the ranks. They couldn't support you more. But when you get to the top, they want to see you fail as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's part and parcel of, of life. I don't have a problem with that. What drives me crazy is that the same people from the same social media handles literally spend their entire day on my account trolling me. <laughs> like, and it, it doesn't make me angry and it doesn't make me want to have a tear up with them, but it just baffles me. Do you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. you want to go around these people's houses and just have a chat with them, not violently. Although, you know, <laughs> maybe it could go that way. Do you know what I mean? And just say, cause I want to speak to these people. And I want to say, what, what do you do? Like, not in a bad way. I don't want to, I'm not here to criticize you, but you, you have so much passion and energy 
to to put me down and our stuff down. Imagine like what you could achieve if you put that, if you channeled that into a positive. But that that their life is based around giving people stick on social media. Do you know what I mean? That's what makes them happy. Sadly, or probably not happy because they're probably not the happy. But do you know what I mean? That's to show their mate. Look, I well, see what I just posted. See that meme I made up. I mean, look at that one. I'll just put a computer-generated photo of him. Look, look, with a <laughs> with a with a shit on his head. Well, that's fucking hilarious. But that's that's life, I suppose, isn't it? So I don't know. I've changed a lot over the last few years yeah. because I've just you end up. I'm 42 now, and I feel like the last 10 years or so, I've just I've achieved so much in my life, particularly in my personal life, which is, you know, the most important thing for me. But it's kind of passed me by at the same time. And I just can't be asked anymore to get agitated or angry with although Pop Mac either who called me a pussy and the after the AJ fight. <laughs> I was gonna um, bring that up as you were saying it. Because <laughs> I, I put I personally like that, you know, you, you're just seeing your guy lose, you're pissed off, and as fans, what we didn't feel like we got in the fight from maybe the people we were expecting AJ, it, yeah, yeah. was that you sort of, yeah, I'm yeah. expecting Anthony's corner or whatever, but the way you showed that fight, I was like, okay, this is what we want to see, someone who's pissed yeah, off yeah. and wants to put this right, and uh, I mean, the guy did shit himself, so it was a no, great no, moment. just like, I don't- during the night, I don't mind. I don't drink at the shows. I don't like... So I'm sober as a judge, right? You've got 70,000 people that have had a beer, okay? So all throughout the night, I'm up and down that gantry, right? Eddie, Eddie, where are you? And I try and stop and talk, you know, talk, have a photo, whatever. And it was just this, this group. And I saw him, I walked past him and he went, Eddie, Eddie. And I went... And then just as I got out of eye shot, you pussy. And it was like, no, mate, not now. Not, not now. <laughs> and I, I'm, listen, I'm limited. I can have a little bit of a go, but nothing major. But at that point, I, I could have, I could have taken on 12 of them. I was just ready to go. And I, you could have knocked me out clean. I would have been happy because I was just ready to go. At that yeah. Point, I, hear that. So, I hear that. Sometime enough enough. Um, I kind of feel that this is probably a little bit deep, but I just feel like the country and the public at the moment, I feel like we're all at melting point. You know what I mean? I feel mm-hmm. like we're at a really pivotal time in our history. Mm-hmm. You know, from from a social standpoint, where this is not about trolling on Twitter. This is just about. I think I feel like there's so much anger around, and I think obviously the pandemic doesn't help. You know, the the, the, the economic climate doesn't help. The people laying on the M25 don't help. You know, but I just feel like we're at a real pivotal moment mm-hmm. in the country's history where I, 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 I'm concerned like for the future of, mm-hmm. of, of future generations and the future of our country because I think people are, lo- uh, are losing the plot not not from a you know a mental health point of view although that's a major issue as well but I just I, I just see anger I just come back from after I went to the States I went to Antigua for a few days right and it's like and I know it's London it's just but you know you sit on the beach there and you see people finish their day at work and go down and have a little, you know, with Dadley, which is a local beer and maybe a game of cricket on the beach. And, you know, the phones are on the side and then you land back in London and I'm just, so all I'm seeing is miserable people. All I'm seeing is anger. 
Yeah. All I'm seeing is people on their phones or you troll it. Or I don't know. I feel like we've lost touch with with reality. Mm-hmm. And I think I think most of it, honestly, I think is that. Absolutely, you know? mate. And I say that to my kids all the time. I, I think it's the worst thing. And I'm um, listen. I'm massively guilty. Jesus Christ! I was looking at my screen time the other day and the pickups. You know, you can look at how many times you pick your phone up. It's got to stop. <laughs> it's got to stop. I think they don't. I, honestly, I think I think that is the root of what is going on right now. Because when was the last time? But what do you do when you sit somewhere? What did you used to do when you're on a train or you're on a plane or you're on a beach yeah. or you're at a football match? You pick your phone up, don't you, Nick? Mm-hmm. But surely, what did you used to do? I don't remember. Because I don't know what to do anymore when I'm sitting on a plane or a train and I haven't got my phone in my hand. If that's I, down, I don't I, look I, out the window I and think, think about is, what I'm doing. I think this was why, why people may be just having those mental episodes where we're not actually contemplating life enough and because we're distracting ourselves from the mobile phone so much that when people used to put their time into family and friends and you know like people used to be really looking after their neighbors and stuff like that and i feel like now it's it's all just about trying to climb the social ladder for most people you know under the age of 30 especially Mm. it's all about how many followers you've got and what your social status is instead of like who you actually are as a person mm. and the frustration mm. that you're talking about in society and how unhappy people are and the pressure people probably feel financially. It, I completely agree. I've, I've never seen our country so negative in my life. Mm. But it, it's, it's in every fashion. It doesn't matter. And that negativity, which I talk about online, you know, mm. like even that, that is, that seems to be almost its own pandemic mm-hmm. of, um, got that that glass half empty mindset of Mm -hmm. come on like you know and it's like we've done a press conference today and they said you know when white pulled out why don't you just can the show well why don't you ask me another question to say when white pulled out you know well done for cracking on and and giving these fighters the opportunity to earn money Mm -hmm. and win titles you know what i mean it's like you can turn your life around. You can turn that mindset around so easily, but you're just infiltrated in today's world, really by negativity. And like you say, people more worried about what their life looks like rather than what their life is really like. You know, it. and that 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 is a frightening thing. I, I see it. My daughter, you know, my one daughter, she's twelve, mate. I just it scares the life out of me because yeah. I look at it and I think, you know, why. Why do you want to live your life? Document your life to random pit like, and all you really care about is what is how you're perceived mm-hmm. on social media. Like, it's it's a big problem, big problem. And uh, people don't take yeah. silly pictures anymore, Eddie. If it's not got yeah. a brand in in the photo, or it doesn't look like you've yeah. spent a lot of money doing whatever you're doing, nobody takes a goofy picture anymore because you don't look no. cool. You know. But but you know taking a goofy goofy picture anyway, or taking any kind of picture mm. and wanting people to see it and wanting them to comment, just creates insecurities. Mm. You know, like what? Why would you want to? What a mad world we live in. Yeah. Anyway. No, you, you've, ni- little, you've nailed it. Little deep, yeah, yeah. But how do we change? You know, how are we going to change the mindset of the country? You know, we we got half the country want to do one thing, half the country want to do another thing. You know, you've got a government telling you really what you 
what you uh, need to do or you need to do this to, to be able to do this. You know, you've got people gluing themselves to the road like <laughs> on the M25. So, I mean, the fucking whole thing's got, the whole place has gone now. <laughs> you know. So we just got to stay calm. Mm. And the way that you stay calm is just to, just to stop, think, spend time with people who you care about and care about you. Just, you know, like I said, come off the phone. Just get get inside your mind and look after yourself and your family, but but mainly yourself, because that's how you're going to go on and achieve success is to have a clear mind and, mm-hmm. and have an understanding. There's a great poem, right? And I know you um, you can edit this out a little bit while I look for this. But Chris Chris Eubank over here. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it was Rudyard Kipling who once. <laughs> this is this is just the mm. greatest greatest. Poem I've ever seen, I've ever heard. Right? Okay, I'm ready. The man in the the man in the glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, then go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fella whose verdict counts most in your life is the man staring back in the glass. He's the fella to please, never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear up to the end. And you've passed your most dangerous, difficult test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may be like Jack Horner, a chisel, a plum, and think you're a wonderful guy, but the guy in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. (laughs) You can fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get packed on the back as you pass. But your final reward will be heartbreak, heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Mm. Now that is a fucking great poem. It's, it's about being a man, is, that, isn't it? it? Well, yeah, I mean, we can change that to make sure that it can accommodate the female race as well. well in of the modern, course, of in course. The, in the modern era, but it is called Man in the Glass, unfortunately. Um, but... It, what that means is, is you have to be comfortable with yourself. And that, that will give you complete sanity and clarity in what you're doing. And only that. Mm-hmm. Because without being comfortable in yourself and what you're doing, you can't overcome those, those, those hurdles. And once you do, you're comfortable and confident in whatever you do. And you know that you can look yourself in the eye and say, I'm a good guy. I'm doing the right thing. You know, I'm looking after my own. I'm, you know, I'm working hard. I'm, I'm doing all these things, and then, and then life is sweet. As long as you do that, you know, you can't do anymore. Mm. So I love that poem because how many people can do that? How many people can look themselves in the mirror and say, "I'm living the right life. I'm doing the right thing. I'm working hard enough. I'm chasing my dreams. I'm making the most of every day." I don't think I. I mean, I can sometimes. I can't all the time. And, and that, it's difficult to do that and uh, it's funny you should r- say that poem actually because in the last few days I remember thinking to myself like you got to lighten up on yourself mate you know what I mean like I, li- you got to talk to yourself as if you're your mate and it's a it's yeah. a tricky one because 100%. the thing that drives especially people like yourself is nothing's ever good enough and always chasing the next mm. big win but if you don't give yourself a pat on the back 
you will basically, as you're saying, fly through life and realize mm. when you're 60 years old, fucking hell, I did great. Why didn't I appreciate myself back then? No, you know? Mate, I mean, I couldn't agree with that more. And when I'm doing, you know, on my podcast, I do with the BBC, all these people I talk to, they say exactly the same thing. Mm. Right? Frank Lampard, I think it was. Um, Mark Cavendish. You know, all these, these great athletes, Mo Farah. I did this. I won the Champions League and I stood there with a trophy and I lifted it up and I, I didn't feel like I thought I would feel. Mm-hmm. That's really sad. Because mm. it's the I journey. It, the I process is the what time. you get addicted to rather yeah. and in, in your head you think, when I get to the top of the mountain, but then you've got nothing left. Like for you, that's the thing that was yeah. driving you. you. This is, you know, this is a very good counseling session for me. So thank you. <laughs> but it is. I do a show. A great, you know, what a show was it? You know, wow, you, that must have been amazing. Mm. To be, I don't, you know, I never once stood back and went, fuck, how good was that? You know, and that's wow. a very scary thought. That's something I will work on more than anything. Yeah. Well, because, take the Liverpool show you've just done, for example. Yeah. You know, that was fucking fantastic, mate. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But, you know, maybe it wasn't the biggest show you've ever done by a, you know any means because you've done some gigantic mm. shows. But that, to me, is exactly what boxing needs. That show mm. had, you know, good-sized names, amazing mm. fights, a storyline everyone could invest in. It was centred mm. around the community, uh, you know, if you, God, imagine you could do one of those every week. You know what I mean? I know, no, no, quite right. Yeah, but yeah. but then it, it's like you get in the process of onto the next one, and you know what? I know it's a good show, but I bet I'll get kicked in the nuts in a couple of weeks. Bang! Dillian White falls out. <laughs> you go, fucking, yeah. But you, you are right. You know that that lightning up thing is is, mm. is important because sometimes you know I think people, I'm I'm at my best when I'm in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? People love to see me with Coogan on interviews, talking shit, having a laugh, doing stupid things that end up becoming a meme, you know, uh, but you can only have that energy if you're happy. Mm-hmm. And if, if you, if you feel good and you're not always happy, sometimes you have to front it out. I'm sure you do these sometimes. I think, fuck, you know, what am I doing? Oh my God, I've got to speak to that fucking <laughs> bell end turn. Do you know what I mean? But you have to come on, don't you? Hey, Eddie, it's so good to be talking to you. You know, so. Mate, I've had know. depression for a few years and that there's been a few yeah. times where I've been like, you know, I've avoided podcasts for that reason because it is, you feel like a fake prick, you know, when you're putting it on, don't you? But yeah. Um, but how, how did it, you know, when you went through that stage in your life, mm. at what point, did you realize, because I feel like with depression, that you have, you know, you have to identify that it exists within you. Mm. And there has to be a long period of time where you might just think you're pissed off or you might just think your energy levels are low. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's good now that it's okay to be able to say, you know what? I think I'm suffering from depression. Because I'll tell you something now, if I would have said that to my dad, 10 years ago, let alone 20 years ago, yep. he would have just taken, he would have taken a mic out and he would have gone, so what? what are you talking about, mate? Yeah. Sort it out. Depression. Pull your socks up. You know, I mean, that's, that's the old school mentality. I think I just had to realise what the difference was between circumstantial depression when you're going through a rough time and then clinical depression where it doesn't matter what the fuck happens throughout your day, you will feel like shit. And once I realised, okay, my life is great. 
and I'm still feeling like shit and I still feel rock bottom. Yeah. The, the minute uh, I went on the medication and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I feel normal again or kind of normal at least and not wanting mm. to fucking, you know, do something stupid every other day. Mm. Um, and that was where I realized I basically had like a medical chemical thing wrong with me. And I've been much better ever since, you know, but uh, it, it took years before I actually went, fuck, I'll take anything, I'll do anything because mm. I'm one of those guys who doesn't go to the doctor unless his leg's hanging off. Um, but I'm glad I did, you know what I mean? Mark Cavendish said something, the, the, the cyclist, in, in, uh, he suffered from depression. Mm. Same kind of thing where just chased his dream, chased success, chased everything, kept winning, kept winning, and nothing was ever enough. And he said, mm. it was amazing, he said um, that he would, like, he would need a spoon for his coffee and he would open the drawer and there'd be no spoon. And it was like the fucking world had ended. You know what I mean? He was like, where's the fuck? You know, and it was only, I think he said it was that kind of incident where he just thought to himself, what? Like he said, and it would put him in a bad mood for like the whole day. Yep. Because there was no spoon. And he said, and just the smallest things were making me feel like complete shit. And, and it was, you know, you got to be careful. You've got to look after yourself. And it's good to see people putting so much focus on, looking after yourself, mm -hmm. even though we're still not doing it, really. It's a work in progress, mate, isn't it? Um, yeah. uh, let, let's talk, um, obviously, the, the AJ situation, if that's all right, mate. Mm. What a, a, a night that was. Um, you know, obviously, Usyk showed how good he really is. And I think mm. I personally predicted him to win a decision uh, before the fight because he is just elite. But once you watched it back, I'm assuming you did, what was it like for you watching it back? Well, frustration is a good word because, you know, the one thing I didn't want him to do in that fight was try and outbox Alexander Usyk. Mm -hmm. And that was exactly what he tried to do. Now, was that down to stubbornness? Mm -hmm. Was that down to a bit of lack of confidence of what he was supposed to do or the game plan particularly? I think a little bit of both, mm. to be honest with you. I think that too much information, too many points of view. I mean, if you look back on the fight in the ring, you know, I mean, AJ's a very strange cat when it comes to ring walks anyway. You know, he's stopping, he's going back, he's seen some lady down there, she used to cook him lunch after his training in Finchley, she, he goes over to him, he gives her a hug. You know, I'm walking out thinking, Where's it? where's he gone? What's he doing? It was oh, bizarre. there high-fiving someone, yeah. you know. And, but that's not, that's not a sign of that he's not focused or he hasn't trained. He's just, you know, and, but when he gets in the ring, he goes over, Clifton Mitchell's there, who's uh, runs our security, he used to be a heavyweight fighter, fought for the British heavyweight fighter. And he starts talking to him about the fight. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Oh, what do you think? What do you think, Cliff? You know, and that, what that tells me more than anything is just a, a lack of confidence of, of the game plan mm. and of what I have to do. If, if you know categorically what you have to do and you know that if you don't do it, you're going to be fucking told during that one minute break between rounds what you've got to do anyway, you don't go searching for the answers. See what I mean? The problem is sometimes with AJ is he's smart. He, you can't bluff him, right? So you can't go up to him and say, mate, yeah, you, what you got to do is do this. And yeah, and he goes, yeah, right. 
you know, he needs to know that he's got it, the strategy right. He's prepared. He's executed it in training, repetition. When he boxed Andy Ruiz in a, in a second fight, they said to him, you have to fight like this, right? Wasn't his most entertaining fight, but he followed the instructions down to a T and won every single round. When you start searching for too much information, things become confusing. When people say, oh, I just, I think he's lost a little bit of his killer instinct. No, what he realized after a while is that he just can't fight like he does and, and have a long career and just rely on that style to beat everyone. You know, when he boxed Klitschko, it was only Braun and Hart that got him through to win that fight. Now, all of a sudden he goes in, even when he fights Povetkin, you know, he's having a bit of a war, fights Andy Ruiz, stuns him, thinks he can just walk through him and realises that, that you need more strings to your bow. So he starts focusing more on boxing, right? Which actually won him the rematch. But there's a time and place. Do you know what I mean? The AJ that boxed Klitschko would have probably beaten Alexander Usyk that night or certainly had a, a much better chance of beating him than, than the AJ that turned up mm. that night. But it's not just about, you see the, you know, the, the man on the street says, what's he doing? You've got to just get, you've got to just stick it on him. It's not as easy as that. And we shouldn't take away from the brilliance of Usyk and the footwork of Usyk because he made AJ second guess himself too many times in the fight. Mm-hmm. You see the way you see the way he raises the level of Usyk, you know, and he 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 he, he puts he, he doesn't let you set your feet. But you ne- yeah? you never stop moving. So you know, no. if you're going from Pulev, who it by comparison was a fucking statue, Robot, you know what yeah. I mean? Uh, yeah, he he constantly made AJ have to think, and uh, <clears throat> I, even but the now, way, but the thing is with with, with Usyk, mm. the way say the way it's easy, the way to beat him. I mean. Chisora, for the first three or four rounds, did all the things that actually is effective against Usyk, right? Mm-hmm. Which is to basically, when you talk about not letting someone set, once Usyk's on that back foot and loses his own balance, mm. right? That's the time where you, you can jump all over him and hurt him. And listen, Usyk said after the fight to me, you know, oh, AJ hurt me, oh, he can punch. He didn't hit him. You know, he, I think he hit him, you know, with, with a couple of clean shots, Hurt mm. into the body a couple of times, but he never landed a power punch. AJ in twelve rounds. I, I don't know because, if he threw one. Yeah, I, I don't. I think you're right, but that's <laughs> because as well. Sometimes you're overthinking to a point where you know, I can't throw that yet because oh, I'm not set here, and I, you know he's waiting to do that. No, no, you back him up, you make him lose his balance, and when you do, you jump all over him and you beat the fuck out. Of him. Do you understand? You know, and and that that's what he needed to be told. I think absolutely during that fight. I think they were too much admiring, too 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 much allow it, um, worrying about what Usyk does well without worrying exactly. about what exactly. AJ does well. And I think part of that is uh, the stamina factor of Usyk was a concern. Yeah. It's like if you mm. pull the trigger the way you normally do, if you don't get him out of there with that pull of the trigger, with Pulev, you can take a few rounds, get your stamina back, pull it mm. again. With Usyk, if you pull that trigger and you miss or you don't get him out of there, there's every chance he's going to run you out of town in the next few rounds. Yeah. And I felt like that made him a little bit trigger shy. I, yeah, I think he thought about that as well. But mm. I'd like to flip that in the mindset and say, pull the fucking trigger and do so much damage. That he can't, that exactly. He ain't the same guy. Yeah, like what you, you know did what I mean? do with Klitschko. Because even, even after Klitschko dropped AJ, 
he wasn't in a position to capitalise no, on it. One, he was tired, he was hurt, he was done. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So the same thing with Usyk. You put enough damage and enough hurt. By the way, you know, you get him out of there. <laughs> if need be. Yeah. You put, I'm telling you now, AJ lands his power punches on Usyk, he will get him out of there. He will mm. damage him, he will mark him up and he will hurt him. So if, after six rounds, you are tired and your tank is beginning to empty, make sure that motherfucker is in pain mm. and his legs don't work. Yeah. So, because that was the one thing I always thought in that fight, you've got to make a dent in this guy mm. in the first six rounds. And he didn't make a dent in it. That yep. was the main problem. And he let him get into the championship rounds because, listen, after eight rounds, nine, however way you want to score it, everyone had it reasonably close. Then Usyk just went 9, 10, 11, 12. Thank you very much. I've won all of those. <laughs> and now it's a shutdown. It was his though, didn't it? It was just a championship round. No, I, I appreciate it. You, you know, and, and you he, know what the fuck you're on about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, so do you actually, which quite surprises me uh, <laughs> for a YouTuber. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, I, I, it was it was a masterclass by Usyk, and 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 that's what worries me a little bit in the rematch. Is I really want AJ to win. I've, I've become an even bigger fan of his as the years have gone by, and I really, I think he's a great champion. That I think with with Ruiz, the plan to get him to the win in the rematch was so clear and straightforward. But as you say, it's a lot more complicated mm. with um, a Usyk who uh, gave him a boxing lesson. It wasn't like uh, you know he just got clipped and never recovered with the equilibrium like last time. I felt like this was there was levels and and as you say, there's very few paths to victory uh, versus Usyk. So. What makes this more important now coming in this is the training camp and everything else. Mm. Now, he's literally just done a great interview. Shout out to uh, Coog. Uh, yeah. It was a very good interview. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But some of his answers were fucking worrying me. And I wanted him, I wanted him because on the, on the one hand, he was being open, a bit more aggressive. We love that. Mm. But on the other hand, there was a few things that he said, and I want to I want to read you some of the things out. You read me a poem. I'll read you some yeah, of the, AJ's quote. Um, Coogan asked what the plan was. He says you'd have to ask the team. Now, red flag, immediate red. Like that worried me. I'm like, well, either you know what the plan was, and you just kind of don't want to take responsibility, or you don't. You still don't know what the plan was, and you're putting the blame on them. Either way, both of those answers it's still bad. Do, I'm assuming you know more than I do, obviously. But like, how did you take that answer? I feel that um, he wasn't comfortable with the game plan because I think if you're if you're seeking information from other people, and he does that a lot anyway. By the way, he likes to take in information, but mm -hmm. too much so in that fight where he didn't have clarity with what he was doing. So when you talk about what was the game plan, I think if you ask him honestly, I think his answer would, would be, I don't really know. Mm. You know and, and, but the team will feel they had a game plan, but it's the transition from the fighter to team to make sure that he had, you know, put it this way, they didn't go through camp not talking about how they were going to beat Oleg Nandarusic. But for some reason... That plan, AJ didn't have the confidence in that plan, you know, or or or, or, it, or the communication, like whatever it was. Yep. The truth is, he didn't ex exercise. It didn't box to the right plan. Mm -hmm. Was it was it the wrong plan? 
or what did they have the right plan but didn't manage to communicate to him in the right way bro if he didn't manage to build you see yourself aj is a clever bloke isn't he you know Mm. he he executes what you tell him to do so if he's if he doesn't know what the fucking plan is that's Mm. shocking to me like especially when you've had three months to get ready for one of the best boxers in the world and you're talking to clifton mitchell in the corner what do you Mm. reckon what do you reckon i should do seconds whereas Usyk stood looking at you like the terminator you better yeah. know what you should do, mate. You're well, in the game. He, knows, your he knew punched. what he had to do. But, yeah. but that, that's the key for the rematch, particularly. Mm. And if he doesn't know what to do in the rematch, but more importantly, if he doesn't have confidence in the game plan, then it's going to be a fucking hard night's work. Okay. You know what I mean? If he, if, if he is told by someone he believes in how to win this fight, mm. And, and they practice and they practice and they practice and they practice. He will be Usyk in the rematch. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I truly believe that. But if he doesn't get it right, then you've got to say Usyk's a huge favourite in that rematch. But clearly, uh, whether there was a game plan or not, I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure there was a game plan, but I don't believe he had a confidence in what he was doing or, or in that specific game plan. And that is a breakdown of communication between fighter and team. I think um, it isn't the first time that we've seen that with between him and Rob, Rob McCracken, and this isn't me having a go at Rob McCracken uh, specifically, but uh, we've seen in the Ruiz fight him saying, you know, what do I do? Like, and looking really sort of unsure of, of how to handle mm-hmm. a situation. But with this one, when we're in the later rounds and AJ's clearly losing the fight, and we're here in the corner say, get behind the jab, Mm. rather than take the fight to him and rather than pull the trigger like we're all screaming at the TV to do so. And then later again in the fight, when we are all hearing, and I don't know who said this, but brilliant AJ, the, mm. the, yeah, the, the whole yeah. boxing community, uh, that that line, if you look in the comments, like is just everywhere. Brilliant AJ, brilliant, because it was such a ludicrous thing to hear at a point mm. where you're clearly losing. Why do you think someone is shouting brilliant AJ? at that point in a fight? I think, uh, I agree with you, by the way. Um, mm. I heard that too much from the corner. Mm. Um, if you're losing a fight or if the fight's nip and tuck, I don't want to be hearing that from the corner. Mm. There were certain things that some, you know, there were too many voices, in my opinion, right? That Not even on the night, just in general, in mm. camp, right? Certain people were, you know, were there to make him do certain things or he was learning certain things. So for instance, the beautiful AJ might not be always oh, won the round. It might just be a specific thing that he has, he, he has learned in camp or worked on a camp. There's no excuse for it. I'm not, I don't even want to attempt to justify it. Mm. The one thing I'll say about the instruction from the corner, I feel that when you get to 10, 11, 12, I think there was an element perhaps from maybe Rob McCracken that felt that his tank was empty, mm-hmm. right? His yeah. eye was fucked yeah. and it was quite a bad injury and probably felt if you get behind your jab and you nick these rounds, it may be, you know, if, if, if you can win these rounds on your jab, we've we got half a chance. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you look at your fighter in the corner and know, like when he hurt his eye and he couldn't see, and it gets to 11 and 12. He took, he took a hammering in the 12th, right? I think maybe Rob at that point knew he cannot, he doesn't have, 
the ability to go out here at this point, back him up and knock him out. That's what I think. Now, yeah. for me, the instruction should have come after four rounds, not <laughs> ten. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because actually, he lost, I think it was 3-1 after four rounds or something. Easily, yeah. And then, listen, then AJ had a decent little run in the middle, nicked a couple of rounds, but you've got to flag it up sooner than that. Mate, mm. this ain't working. You haven't put a dent in him. You know, where's the body shot? And getting behind a jab is fine, but back him up with a jab. Mm. You know, move him with your feet once you back him up with a jab. Knock him off balance and then close the distance. Cut the ring off. Get your foot on the outside, not on the inside. Mm. You know, move to your right. Whatever the instruction has got to be. But, you know, it was a bad night at the office. But, you know, Rob McCracken's more than just a trainer to him. You know, he's a mentor. He's, a, he's been an advisor. And he won him. You know, the, AJ won the Klitschko fight. But I'll say the same now. He wouldn't have won it without Rob McCracken's corner. Because when he went back to that corner after the fifth round and the sixth round, and he sat him down and he said, listen to me. No, that's the voice. There has to be that trust. The one voice. And, you know, AJ's brought in different people to work on different things, whether it's defense, whether it's footwork, whether it's pads. There's got to be, this is a, a, a sport where when you're at the bottom of the well, and there may not be many ways out, the one voice you hear has got to be able to make things happen for you. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's, a, it's a tough job. And I feel like trainers, get a lot of stick when a fight goes wrong, you know, but, but that's, that's the, the sport they're in. But, uh, you know, yeah. I, I didn't like the beautiful stuff. I didn't like the beautiful stuff because I, it just, if you're in there, you think it's you know, actually after the fight, AJ must have known he lost, but it wasn't like he thought, have I got, you know, because so you, you make a you very good point. You're losing the fight. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was... Look at, go, go back to, you're blowing it some... Angelo Dundee, you know, have a little slap if you want. You've got, you know, but too many, I said to to, to AJ, you know, sometimes you've got a great team of people. Sometimes people love you so much, they don't want to give you the bare truth, right? Some people in certain situations, and it's not really a reflection of his thing, some people want to keep their job. Absolutely. Right. He's got it's, more trainers than JD Sports, mate. It's it's <laughs> yeah. the, the amount of people. But, when he started rattling off his team in that Coogan interview, I was like, he's like, well, I've got my main guy. Well, I've got my other main guy. I've got my other main guy. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, you sound ridiculous, mate. Like, yeah. but, and I, I, I do um, know he's a sponge and he's got a thirst for knowledge. But yeah. I, from what I understand, he's always been this way of like, you'll listen to anyone and he'll try and absorb anything he can. Clearly, why he's, you know, he's still got that mentality. But at this point in his career, I expect him on his 11th world title fight to have more of a self-assured... Like, when I interviewed Tyson Fury, he basically was like, no one can tell me anything about boxing at this point in my career. I don't... Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and I'm not saying he should be like Tyson Fury. I'm just saying at this stage... Two, di- two very... Yeah. Two, more yeah, like that. Two, but, but two very different people. Part yeah. of AJ, you know, in his 25th fight, 26th fight, with only 30-odd amateur fights, mm. he's still learning. Tyson Fury... He's not, mm. right? This, this is the, the, the best Tyson's ever going to be. Like, he's, he's got all the knowledge he's ever going to have. He's not really interested. Yeah, he wants direction from Sugar Hill, and he wants instruction. But most of the time, he's in there doing what he knows he's got to do. Mm. AJ's a different, different individual. And, and, but once he has the confidence and belief in what he's doing, I believe he's unbeatable. But he didn't have it that night. I, and it's not a case of, well, 
forget why hasn't he got it or shouldn't he have that. Let's just make sure he's fucking got it. Agreed. You know what I mean, that, that, that's the key. But with the right instruction, with the right communication, with the right belief in that person, he will have it. That, that's the difference. And that's where, where the, the work goes on now and the research goes on to make sure that next time it don't happen again. So it, it, my theory in regards to the brilliant AJ and, and the get behind your job, I think personally, I think AJ needs that positive reinforcement that you say you respond well to, the pat on the back. And yeah. I think that that might have been just to give him as much positivity as possible and get him out of that fight in one piece and get them on the rematch. Um, but the, the thing that you said about trust and trusting the voice, it feels like right now AJ has a lot of loyalty and, and clearly loves uh, Rob McCracken, uh, but the trust seems to not be there anymore. And at that point... You know, yes, he might want to keep Rob involved. And when he was asked about this, he couldn't give a straight answer. And it was, it was, it didn't sound good. If you're Rob McCracken, listen to it, or if you're AJ saying it, it didn't like, well, I'll have to work out if Rob wants to be involved with my next person who might teach me. And I was like, difficult conversation, though, to have public. Do you know what it, I mean? is, it, it is, but he was the one who decided to have that with Coogan. You know, he was the yeah, one who invited. Yeah, so, of yeah. course, he's going to ask the question. And there's not long, do you know what I mean, before the Usyk mm. fight. So, I think he needs to make that decision quickly. Yeah, I think that's, but that's why he's being proactive. You know, he, yeah. he didn't he didn't sit on his hands and sulk. He got on a plane. He went out to America. He traveled all around the country. Mm speaking to people, looking at gyms, looking at ways to improve. And mm. I think he should be commended for that. Absolutely. Because he ain't out partying and boozing and sulking. Mm. He's out trying to improve and trying to get himself best prepared for the rematch. Um, what the, the one other thing he said in that interview, which the, the final thing I'll put to you, he said, I had no indication that it wasn't going right. Mm. Um, that was a bit of a shock. Because he said, I, I was touching you sick. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really understand that. Um, do you think you should be in this corner? I mean, you could just scream at him <laughs> round four. Because yeah, we're all I mean, screaming, you, you know? And Yeah. yeah. I that, don't know. That's, again, when you get to a stage where you need you need people around you. Mm. That, you know, I, I met him two days after the fight and I sat down and said, I have to tell you honestly, this is what I think. Mm. You know, and I told him my honest opinion because at the end of the day, you ain't a mate if you ain't telling people the truth anyway. And if someone needs your help or, or needs to find a way to improve and you're not telling him your honest opinion. And it was, you know, all those people have been sat down individually really as, a, as not, not for a telling off, just for a chat. And what, it's when you sit down with them after a defeat where people start coming out and saying, yeah, well, actually this and this and this and this. Well, you didn't say that, you know, when you're winning, no one says anything, do they? So, but you have to have people around you. And uh, listen, he's got a lot of people around him that care for him. But the ones that care enough to stand up and say, mate, I, I, I'm, you know, maybe I'm going to walk away if this doesn't change because I don't believe in it. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I, I don't believe in the setup or this process in camp. So I'm out. But no one really does that, do they? Because one, it's a huge opportunity to be in Anthony Joshua's camp, you know, free. Two, you're going to be making a lot of money and you're involved in massive nights. But um, a lot of people saying he's got too many yes men around him. I think he's got a lot of people that care for him, to be honest with you. And, and he's, an, he's an unbelievable, loyal, likeable guy. But sometimes 
the truth hurts and you've got to be, be honest to people and you've got uh-huh. like what you've said there is spot on you know where was the person saying to him after four or five rounds mate you're going to blow this unless you do this mm. where was you know where was it <laughs> do you want to lose your world heavyweight title tonight yeah and, unless and, and, you know if you don't do this now yeah yeah and, and that was easy to say isn't it I learned, yeah. part of it's easy to say as, as you and me you know spitting the fat on a podcast but a lot of a lot of it is, should be a formality yeah well you're you're risking your world title by not pulling the trigger and when yeah. he says in the podcast you know his interview um, I watched, you know, Fury versus Wilder and they were blowing out their arse by round three. It's like, yeah, but they were trying to kill each other. You you weren't trying <laughs> yeah. to kill Usyk. You, were tr- you weren't, mm. you know what I mean? You just weren't. So that's heavyweight boxing when you're trying to rip each other's head off. It, it will just, rev- mm. it will be who wants it more. You know what I mean? And I think mm. it really didn't reflect well on AJ when those two went to war the way they did. And he mm. gave his belt up without a fight, in my opinion, without mm. the fight mm. that he gave uh, Klitschko or, or mm. Dillian White or, you know, because we know he's mm. got the dog in him. And that mm. that ain't really my, uh, the dog is not what I'm sort of worried about. It's just him having that person he trusts. I think that's what he, um, and we've seen like like you, you grew up around uh, great fighters like Lennox Lewis who mm. changed trainers and it just, revolutionized uh, them and Tyson Fury's done that with Kronk it's a shame because I think Kronk would be perfect for AJ yeah. well, listen, you never know yeah. you never know Fury come out and Fury said I'll, I'll train him I'll tell him how to beat Usyk and then yeah. AJ said yeah why not and then I'm, but, but I'm thinking because AJ's boxed Dillian White maybe they can sort of train each other for those upcoming yeah. fights you know we'll see what happens well the, the White Fury fight uh, will be really exciting to yeah, I, so. I, mean, I see too many people saying, you know, "Why would he fight Dillian White?" You know, he should. I said, "Mate, he's a, one. One is the mandatory challenger. Yeah. Two, it's an all British heavyweight world title fight that's mm. really a fucking a lot of fun." Do you I, know can't, I mean, I can't that, wait that, for that's it. a great fight. Great fight. So hopefully we get that next as well. Um, where do you think the, the heavyweight landscape now has changed like so much, and I feel like. It's hard because Wilder and Fury have been tied up together and then we've had AJ who's lost two fights in his last four. Uh, uh, but Dillian White has just been getting on with business, but then he did get knocked out as well. Like, it's very difficult to rank these guys, but do you have mm. a... What, what order do you think would be fair right now? Um, difficult because publicly it's hard to not say Fury because people just think I'm not saying Fury for the sake of it. Mm. You know... I thought Fury's last fight was thrilling. But if I'm critical, he's beaten one guy in the last nearly three years, mm. right? And that's not his fault, by the way. Mm. But I don't see how you can keep moving up the pound-for-pound pound list by just beating the same guy. Mm-hmm. But it, regardless of how thrilling it was, for me, I believe that AJ was the best heavyweight in the world. Now, is he still the best heavyweight in the world? He's got a point to prove. But if Usyk's beating him, and Usyk's pound for pound number two in the sport. How is he not number one heavyweight in the world? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know, but I, I think that. look, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to split those guys right now. You know, Tyson Fury, I think beats Alexander Usyk. I do because of the size, because of the movement. I, I think he. I think it's a great fight. It might not be the most interesting fight to watch, but you know, but I, I think if you're going to be, you know. I believe AJ can beat them all, but if you want to rank them now, 
on paper as of today, then I think you have to do one and two, Usyk and, and Fury, you know, mm. and three, AJ and four, Dillian White. Mm. And five, or Deont- you know, five, Deontay Wilder. You got, mm. you know, I, I, Wilder, Wilder's going to be in some fun fights. You know, I, he's not, <laughs> I want to say he's not very good. People go mad at me, but he's not very good. Like, but he fucking hits like a mule, yeah. you know, so, and he's really entertaining, but he's not very good. Um, but he can still beat everyone. Exactly. That's the amazing exactly. thing about Deontay exactly. Wilder, where like, you know, I think everyone is going to outbox Deontay Wilder. Uh, and most people can beat him. But if they get chinned, he will win. And that's what's so exciting. It, it's a tricky one with the Usyk thing. If if AJ beats Usyk, does Usyk get a rematch? No. Contractually, no. Would you be so, inclined to give him a rematch? Depends on a number of things. I mean, depends on what happens in that second fight. Depends on the value for the rematch, the demand for the rematch. Depends on whether the Fury fight is available uh, for the undisputed or if Dillian White beats Fury and then you can do an undisputed fight. You know, I mean, I just feel like right now, I just want to win the rematch. You know, after that, you kind of worry. But a lot of people said, you know, when he beat Andy Reid, Surely you got to give Andy Reid a rematch. We're like, oh, fuck off. We've done that one now. <laughs> now we're moving on and doing this. Do, do you not and think that that's sort against- of um, not what's best for boxing, though, in regards to I legacy and stuff? After- because they won a piece now, and the one that yeah, Ruiz had honest, yeah. was brutal. After that, after that Ruiz two fight, which was a decent fight, wasn't overly entertaining, but AJ won every single round. Mm. It weren't like they were calling through the through the roofs for number three. If they were, by the way, and Saudi came back or whoever came back and said, right, we're putting up a load of money again to do number three. We're doing number three. And the same with the Usyk fight. You know, if, it, if it's a brilliant fight and everyone wants to see number three, and, and you know, then we do it. But right now, all I'm thinking about is be Usyk and try and get back in the line for Undisputed. Yeah. But I, I, I feel that in the division right now, I just think we might be approaching a merry-go-round yep. of... AJ Usyk, Fury White, you know, yeah. AJ Fury, Usyk White, Wilder Ruiz. I, I, you know, like all these guys can beat all these guys. So that's really exciting. Let's just see the best fights in the division. Well, the last time I spoke to you, you were in the process of finishing up the contract with Sky. You've now moved with DAZN. And I've heard, um, I don't know, I think it might have been Tony Bellew who said, you have a vision to grow Matchroom. And I just wondered, like, what that vision is and how and what sort of stepping stones you plan to get in order to get to that point. The only place for us to go from here is more domination in global markets and eventually, quite frankly, a float. You know, I mean that that's that, that, we're at that size now where all the approaches are coming in from you know major investment funds and and people saying that we we want to be part of this journey. It's a very unique business. You know, not just across boxing, but, you know, the PDC with the darts, world snooker, you know, the pool, golf, across so many different sports. My plan with, with boxing is to globalise the business and the sport in what we're doing. Right now, we are the only promoter that is promoting globally, with even internationally, quite frankly. You know, mm-hmm. the American promoters aren't promoting in the UK. They might do one show as a one-off. We're doing 46 shows in 2021 across various different markets, including the UK, 
US, Mexico, Italy, Spain, France, Uzbekistan, Saudi Arabia, Australia. I mean, it's just what we're doing is quite phenomenal. But we need to put this network together of what we're doing. UFC, I'm so envious of. And I always say to our guys, watch what they're doing. They have a global business and brand that enables them to go into new territories, new markets with brand that presence and brand profile and hit the floor running with localized events. We've built that via Matrim. So when we go into Barcelona now, you've got fight fans there that follow me, that follow Matrim as a company, that follow our events in America, AJ, Dillian White, Katie Taylor, Devin Haney, you know, Sandor Martin, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez, the strike, like, our global fighters. And you create a global network of fights. Good example was our biggest Spanish fighter, Sandor Martin, just goes over and beats Mikey Garcia, right? A couple of weeks ago. Massive shock. Mm-hmm. No one saw it coming. But for our Spanish business, that takes boxing in that territory through the roof. Mm-hmm. And the only people that we could expand at this rate with globally, and the only people that shared our vision, were DAZN, who have a global network for boxing. Mm-hmm. And rather than sell your individual TV rights, to a hundred different broadcasters around the world, which you do, it's so much clearer the process and strategy for us to do that across one platform with the zone. So, you know, I always, I always say one sport, one platform. That's not their slogan. That's my slogan. Wherever, wherever I go in the world, I can pump that message in. You watch our event only on the zone. And I felt that in the UK market, we got to a point where and there's a difference between an Anthony Joshua pay-per-view and a Chisora Parker pay-per-view or a Dillian White Povetkin pay-per-view. These are the fight nights where we got so much criticism over the years for staging them as pay-per-view events. The reason being is because the TV rights money wasn't there from the broadcaster to be able to stage that fight as a normal Saturday night fight night. With the zone. We can run those pay-per-view events as non-pay-per-view, as part of a much cheaper subscription model. Now, people recently kicked up a fuss when, you know, DAZN said, we may have to introduce that functionality, may, for certain one-off events. Anthony Joshua has become a free network agent in the UK. You cannot stage an Anthony Joshua Usyk rematch as part of that cheap subscription model that DAZN is offering. But what you can do is take fights that are perceived to be not pay-per-view off that model because we were doing too many pay-per-view events. And to be honest with you, it was draining the life out of me having to have that continue argument with the fight fan where he said, it's not pay-per-view. And I would say it is. And everyone was seated a pants up. And you will see those pay-per-view numbers falling because in this market, in this climate, people are not, prepared to keep paying £20, £24.99 for one-off night. And I just felt that this model enabled us to make bigger fights. Good, Smith Fowler is a great example. You go to both those guys, neither of those guys really want to take that fight, you know, in, in the position they're in, unless the money's right. Mm-hmm. You know, pay the money. Well, now we can do it, and we get those fights like that. You know, and that's, we're only three months in to this Design UK project. Project. But you're going to see fights like that happen as just normal Saturday night fight nights. Now, I know Dillian's out this weekend, but Dillian White against Otto Wallin. It's a, tw- it's a £20 pay-per-view on Sky. 
Chisora Parker rematch would have been a £20 pay-per-view on Sky. It's now part of your monthly subscription on the zone. We need more of those key tempole moments to deliver for fight fans. And now you're getting Teofimo Lopez against uh, Cambosis, Devin Haney against Jojo Diaz, Gennady Golovkin against Murata, you know, Jamie Mungir against Rosado. But all of these events globally, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant product. And this is just the beginning for, for the process. Yeah, I, I, I know there's some teething problems. Like, obviously, when I use the app, I'm like, oh, this could be like this, this could be like that. But I, mm. I, you guys are way ahead of the game, um, but I'm not sure the game has changed yet, is, is my current mm. feel on it. You know what I mean? It, it's in the right direction. Sky or they're just the old man brand, aren't they? they? They don't really get it. You know what I mean? Um, and they- so they're a great platform. I think, I think it's difficult after three months to sit there and say, we have revolutionized mm. the sport. I mean, we've had a good start. Uh-huh. We've had one bit of bad news with Dillian White, but I feel like the production team, you know, whether you like Laura Woods and Meyer and Bellew and Mike Costello, it's, it's different gravy mm. to what anyone's doing. Absolutely different gravy. Well, but well, we have to make the fight. One disappointment that some people have uh, voiced is Paulie Malignaggi not being on the commentary. Uh, he is viewed as one of the best and you guys obviously went in a different direction. A uh, little, little bit disappointing. Any reason why? Um, I think he was. I saw an interview the other day where he said it was something to do with uh, poor old Frank Smith, who works for me, and, and done an altercation of fan. I don't think so. I think he had his problems um, corporately with, with Showtime. I can't remember what happened. Yeah, but I certainly there was some con- controversy there that would put a major corporation off off using him as a broadcaster because it certainly put Showtime off using him. Okay. I think Paulie's brilliant. I think he's a great, great commentator. We've kind of got our own our own Paulie Malinagi and Tony Bellion a little bit. You know, I don't <laughs> think we can have too many outspoken. But one scouter and one New Yorker. One New York Italian, <laughs> Italian geezer, you know. Yeah. But I, I think Paulie's a brilliant, brilliant commentator. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you've got Tony. I absolutely love the guy. Um, and, you know, I think the, the flack that people give uh, for... Um, the, the 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 female presenter you hired what sorry what's her name Maya Jama Maya Jama um, yeah, who yeah. is a great presenter and uh, they to present not to break down the fights uh, but I know but that, it that's was ridiculous thing, you know, like you, yeah yeah it's like you know she doesn't know anything about boxing I know like you know yeah she's been to some fights she's entertaining yeah she's a huge name yeah she has a huge social media following you know she. It's bringing something completely different to the sport. Now, mm. if we had Maya Jama breaking down fights, I agree with you. Ridiculous. Mm. But we don't. She cuts it up with Tony. She goes to Laura Woods, who is outstanding as well, who goes to Mike Costello and Andy Lee. Brilliant. Mm. You know, you've got Darren Barker and Chris Lloyd, the analytical team, breaking up the early fights. It's really, really good. Just uh, the beginning for us. Are you, are you concerned, because obviously you're going for the international market, that it might be, it's, it's, it's very English heavy. There's a lot of like yeah. people who work on talk sport in there. And, you know, don't get me wrong, for me, that's great. But um, do you think you may get in some people from outside in America? Yeah, I think, I mean, when you look at the US broadcast team, it's different. You know, you've got Kate Abdo sometimes with Todd Grisham. You've got Akin Barak over there as well. And you've got, you've got Tony over here. Um, Did you see but, the, the, the stick that Kate Abdo got from Bob Arum? Oh, wow. Can you believe, like... She's, you know, by the way, she's she's got her earpiece in and she's they're saying to her, do a head-to-head. She's not, uh, you know, but this is an 89-year-old bloke who is just <laughs> so stuck in his... I mean, you know, he's outrageous. But he don't care. When you get to 89, you don't care what you say. He doesn't but give he a shit. apologise, really. Yeah. No, no. But she's but very I good. I felt sorry for her because, like, you know, you're between two giants. 
who want to yeah, beat the hell out of each other. I don't know why, you know, with, with all due respect, I, she did a great job, but putting a woman in that situation between these two men who want to kill each other. No, it's, it's you can't do that. Yeah, it's a difficult but thing that, to do. And to, she, I thought she did great. So when he's like, yeah. fuck that girl, I'm like, what the hell are you uh-huh. talking about, bro? You do re- Like, I don't but know, how is he allowed to do this? PBC have got it in their head that they don't like promoters. Right. right? But listen, you get, you know, my job, Dana White, you get in between the fires, right? You bring them together. And I'm not saying that if Wilder and Fury start having a, a roll around, I'm going to really get get in there and start yeah, getting involved. Yeah, but, but at least I can. I'm six foot five, and I can get in the middle. Maybe pop one on the chin on the way. You know what I mean? And people would love to see that anyway. But <laughs> it would make the You fight. can't expect a dainty female presenter to start break. You know, breaking. Yeah, up. I mean, I, she could get rolled over by. It's not good. I mean, anything. Yeah. You know, it's, and you know, Bob should know better than that. And he, she's only doing her job. Uh, so you know, but Bob, Bob, absolutely. Go, going back to the Dazone thing, though, like you were talking about taking investment from Matchroom, and I've seen how the UFC obviously expanded and went to. Uh, they were bought by WME. They then launched. Mm. They've launched UFC Fight Pass, so they now have their mm. own their own subscription service, and they're on network television. And I'm, you know, I know you're a student of everything, and you know, I was wondering if you could ever see a day where Matchroom have their own thing, and then the rest. Oh, of them. we we do. We do right, just okay. launched recently. Matchroom right. Live, you know. I mean, that, that's our own, almost like our own OTT platform mm. for territories where you don't have major TV deals, mm. and it enables you to to show that growth and look at that growth. The smartest thing that the Zone have done with with the boxing model is it enables them to almost gather gather free data and research about territories that that have potential for for, for bigger growth. So people don't realise the Zone are a huge sporting sports streaming powerhouse. They're not a boxing platform. Uh. You know, they're in Italy with Serie A. You know, they're in Spain with major rights. They're in Japan. They're in Canada with major US sport as well. Boxing is well, that's a small part of what they do. It's a big part of what they do, but they're, they're a sports streaming giant. Mm-hmm. But what the boxing model enables them to do is to go into territories, gain subscribers, gain data, understand the market before they go in and obtain other sporting rights. Of course, in time, they're going to pick up many other sporting rights in the UK as they grow their subscriber base. But this is a, a, a great entry vehicle into these markets for them that, that enables them to particularly grow the brand. Right. Because in a lot of these territories, like when we went into the US with, with The Zone, it was a standing start. No one had heard of, of The Zone in America, really, as, as a sports viewer. No one had really heard of much of Matrim locally. You might have seen this on TV on, on one fight a year. And we went in there off a standing start. And, and really, in the UK market, the same thing. You know, they've come in as a new broadcaster. Of course, they've been disruptive, but they're a brilliant addition to the boxing roster. And, and I think I'm, I'm rival value for money across America, UK, and again, just a couple of months in in the UK. So, long way to go. Do you, uh, are you the one who gets to sort of do the creative, like in, in regards to the shows? Like, uh, is there a creative director from the zone or is it a matchroom guy who decides, well, you know? Well, one, one thing that was so important with the deal was we wanted to control the production. Because I felt like you build a narrative, you build a storyline of a show and how you want it to play out, mm. and then you get to fight day and you just pass it over to a broadcaster. Now, the zone still have input in, into that production, but ultimately we're putting the talent together, we're putting the staging together, we're putting the lighting together, we're putting the walk-on together so we can really have that cradle-to-grave mindset of, of full delivery. Mm. Um, but these are bright people. You know, I mean, 
no, I, I thought we were we were good. These people have calls about calls. Mm. I mean, every five minutes, there's another management call, meeting, design call, production call, strategy call, mm. and these people are really bright, really that's bright. They know exactly what they're doing. They know they know where the future lies, and that's why we made the move. We, you know, we had a massive opportunity uh, with Sky. They've been a great partner. We got offered a huge deal, and we chose to leave because we felt this was the future. And, and I'm. I'm, I'm absolutely certain we're right. Have you ever thought about doing a, a matchroom uh, belt, almost like create your own divisions, create your own championships? Because I only thought, say this because yeah. one of the difficult things for ca- casual fans, and I, I'm, I'm kind of a casual fan at this point, I think, um, is when you have these random fights w- within, a, within a night where it's the lesser-known guys, it... What, what you're talking about is storytelling, and that's kind of your job, mm. obviously, where a fighters came from, where they're going. And on so many fights, I feel like when I'm used to the UFC style of, here is his ranking. If he wins this, he'll probably fight this guy. And that's mm. they're, they're, they're great at doing that. They get you, all right, okay, so this all, I get the story. Boom, it's there. <clears throat> and I often feel like that's part of the challenge that you guys have because there's so many fucking belts. Whereas if you just kind of mm. went, you know what it is, we've got plenty of money, we've got plenty of fighters, fuck it, let's just have our own. And then that way, the pres- I know nobody's not called it the matchroom belt here and people might think I'm crazy, yeah. but like as a product, it potentially could make things a bit more straightforward for the viewer. Yeah, I think it's something that in time can work. The main issue is, is the notoriety and the history and the legacy of those belts. Mm. So every young fighter wants to win a WBC belt because they saw Sugar Ray Leonard beat Roberto Duran to mm. win it. You know, they want an IBF belt because it was the first one that Evander Holyfield won. Do you know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, look, you'd have to take that plunge. I think, it's, I, know bo- I think it's bollocks personally because like, when a UFC heavyweight champion is holding that heavyweight belt, it, you know, it, it they, what they're twenty years old. There's there's really not a lot of history there, and uh, yeah, but that's that, but that's why you know to win a UFC belt, yeah, is everything. But at the moment in boxing, to win a WBC belt is everything to that person. And if you lose the opportunity to do that, it's a long game. It's mm. a long game. You know, it's, it, it, you ain't going to bring something like that in. And every fighter goes, this is tremendous. I don't care about the WBC. I've got a matron belt or I've got an MB, whatever but, you But if you've got the money, if you've got the money yeah, yeah, to yeah, make I it happen, understand. and as you've just said with Liverpool, if you've got the money, then all of a sudden it does matter. And yeah, if- I, I think so. But I respect the coach. You know, part of me wants to see my fighters lift those belts as well. Mm. Probably maybe because I'm a little bit of an anorak. Do you know what I mean? But I know... I think what you're saying is achievable and it's something that over time will definitely work. I've got but lots of ideas, Eddie. I've got, mate, I'm well, here cool. all week. I mean, yeah, good. Well, let's not do it on the podcast, though, eh? <laughs> Give all the games away. <laughs> um, before we go, I've got to touch on w- one last thing. Obviously, um, you were talking about the pay-per-view model and how zone got a lot of people in- interested in America. One of the main ways they did that was through my mates, the Paul Brothers and KSI. Yeah. Uh, you kind of take, took a step back, Showtime have then taken a step in. Mm. Um, before we get into the Paul brothers and what they've done recently, the rumour is Mike Tyson, Logan Paul, February 2022. Now, I don't think this is going to happen, but what do you make of that just as a possibility, the I, fact I, that I, that could I, even I pre- happen? I, I prefer that. I can't believe I'm even having this debate, but I prefer that 
to Floyd and Logan. I thought that was absolutely a load of bollocks. <laughs> I thought, what? You got a pound for pound great against a bloke that is, I mean, you know, not, not calm fight, but like, you know, it, it was, it was horrible, horrible to watch. Tyson, it shouldn't happen, but at least like, I would, I would at least want to find out what happened in that fight. All right. right yeah. I, I, I hold my hands up. Yeah. Now, when we go to Jake and what he's doing, it's very different. Mm. You know, Jake, he's not fighting any real boxers yet, but he's still fighting fighters. Mm. Right, he's fighting MMA guys. He's fighting guys that n- know how to hold their hands up. I don't mind what Jake's doing. I think he's working hard. I think he's a great promoter, and I think he's putting the time in in the gym. And I think he's entitled to have a crack. Mm-hmm. I don't like fighters moaning like Javonta Davis the other day. You know, these guys shouldn't be allowed to come in and earn this kind of money because these other guys that <laughs> I know in my gym have been grinding for years. Mate, it don't work like that. It's yeah. called value is called you know worth of a product entertainment and if someone's prepared of course if someone's prepared to pay x and someone's prepared to pay x that is the value of that fight and jake paul and those guys have, have built up a following that has enabled them to do quite frankly whatever they want and get eyeballs and make money now i don't mind jake jake is a, a very good self-promoter he ain't he's not terrible as well, by the way, like he's not, you know, there's a lot of fighters out there worse than Jake Paul. He's not going to go and start beating boxers that are, are any good. But at the same time, he's putting the time in, he's doing the hard spars and he's going out and he's performing, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I have no problem with what he's doing at all. My worry and the reason that I step back a little bit is I don't want this to become the norm, to be honest with you. That's what scares me about the whole thing. And it's not about protecting my business. It's just, something that I'm very passionate about and something that I feel very strongly about. But I did KSI against Logan Paul, you know, like wild Uh, and education, you know, just, I learned so much from that event. Um, It was a bit awkward for me at some of the press conferences and stuff like that, but I knew what I was doing. It worked. The numbers were great. It's just not something that I want to do, you know, all the time. Would I do it again? Probably if it was something that my broadcast partner really wanted me to do in the right situation, the right scenario, am I actively looking to do stuff like that? Absolutely not. You know, but at the same time, I'm not an idiot. And I know that the, the whole business is built around numbers and, and built around subscription and, and for some people pay-per-view and eyeballs. And, and, and when someone delivers it, they deliver it. And Jake Paul, delivers it have you got a prediction for Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury I don't know I mean Tommy I mean I don't really know I haven't really watched a lot of Tommy I watched his last fight on the Jake Paul part I mean you'd like to say Jake can't beat a boxer with with any ability but I just haven't seen enough of Tommy Fury you know but um he obviously believes he can win that fight. Otherwise, he wouldn't take it. If he has taken it, I don't know. But he, he he's not going to get beat at this stage. He want, he, listen, he's going to be milking this for <laughs> you know a nice a nice few future. So he whoever he fights, yeah. whoever he fights, they will be very confident they will beat. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know how good Tommy Fury is, but, but if yeah. he gets beat by Jake Paul, the answer is not very good. Well, I spoke to Big John recently, and he was very confident in his son. So uh, that, right, that, uh, that alone makes it exciting. Absolutely devastated. If, if if Tommy Fury don't beat Jake Paul, they would be devastated because it would be so embarrassing. 
Yeah. I mean, for, for someone, it's supposed to be it's supposed to be a prospect, really. Mm. You know, but we should uh, be. One final question, mate. I seen um, on Twitter it was trending. Uh, who was the fighter who made you love boxing? And I wondered who was the fighter who made you love boxing. Pro- probably, I know it's a bit bit boring, but probably Mike Tyson. I mean, uh, growing up, I was sort of as I got into the sport, Sugar Ray Leonard, Hearns, Hagler, Duran, those kind of fighters were. I mean, Leonard was a hero of mine. I love Duran mm. as well. Um, but probably Tyson going through that area, that era, sorry. You know, when he beat Spink, beat Calder Truth, Williams. I was actually at that fight at Atlantic City. Last wow. about 80 seconds or something like that. Um, I'm so jealous. Other fighters, <laughs> other fighters that some people might not have heard of, Pernell Whitaker. Yep. And, and a fighter called Meldrick Taylor was one of my favorite fighters. Um, he actually got stopped by Julio Cesar Chavez. I watched that fight with about three seconds to go in the fight and was winning the fight about to, to, to have an all-time great victory. And he was a great fighter uh, of mine. Just like watching Nigel Ben, of course now Connor, his boy is absolutely flying. Um, he yeah, looks but, a real fighter but, to me. Like I'm impressed he's with him. He's a real fighter. Like, he, yeah. When he first started, he was wild and he was all over the place. But he is now, he's a real fighter. Yeah, like he's a star as well. He's a yep. star. Yeah, he's got, he's, because I'm, I'm obviously looking now at who you're going to build this business around, and Conor Ben seems mm. like a good, a good person. Uh, one yeah, of them, at fire. least, anyway. Because yeah, he's got the look, he's got the charisma, he can, he hits hard. It's, it's just he's in a fucking hell of a division, isn't he? It's, yeah, I know, brutal. <laughs> but he's going to be in a lot of great fights. Well, thank you very much, Eddie, for the time, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing everything you do, and. Yeah, I, I love chopping it up with you, and I, I think you're doing great things. So thanks for the honesty, mate. Appreciate that, mate. Keep up the good work, and we'll catch you soon. Absolutely. Uh, that was Eddie Cheers, Hearn. Mate. Don't forget to check his podcast out. Check everything that DeZone are doing. It's fantastic app. You can, you know, you know how to get it. It's on PlayStation, Sony TV, and we will be with you very soon on the True Jody YouTube channel with another Pain Game podcast. 